0: Chapter Eleven of Mr. Hogarth's Will This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rochelle. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Katherine Helen Spence. Chapter Eleven Some Grave Talk in Gay Company. Francis had hoped to see his cousins before he met them at the party, but when he called at Peggy Walker's he found that they were out taking their customary long walk, so he met them in Mrs. Rennie's drawing-room for the first time. Certainly the two girls in mourning were not the plainest looking in the room. Neither sister was beautiful, but Elsie was very nearly so, and her recent suffering had thrown more intensity into her expression— and made her look more lovely than ever. But it was to Jane that Francis's eyes turned affectionately and anxiously, and he grieved to see the traces of weariness, of care, and he even thought of tears on the face which to him was the most interesting in the world. He shook hands with her warmly, and looked inquiringly in her face, and then drew her into a quiet corner in a window-seat, where they could talk without being much observed. Elsie did not sit beside them, but left them to their own conversation, assured that she would hear all that she cared to know by and by. Yet she was not neglected, for Miss Rennie had taken a great fancy to her, and was determined, if possible, to get her partners. At Mrs. Rennie's parties there never was any scarcity of gentlemen, for they had an extensive family connection, and Mr. Rennie was a kind and hospitable man, who had a large acquaintance in the city. Miss Rennie had judged hardly of Jane's personal appearance at first sight, but she thought Elsie a most elegant and interesting creature. "'We have written so often and so fully to each other that I fancy that we have little to say now we meet,' said Jane, smiling. "'We have written so much to each other that we have all the more to say, Jane,' said her cousin, "'I never get a letter from you without its making me wish to talk over it with you. "'You have no news, however, I suppose?' "'No news,' said Jane. "'I wrote to you of Elsie's last bitter disappointment. "'It was a cruel letter. "'She felt it all the more, because she says it is all true. "'But really, Frances, I think her poetry did not deserve it. "'She has never mentioned her verses since.' and for yourself you can see no prospect it seems impossible to get up the classes that i hoped for i think i must take to mrs dunn's and the dressmaking for we cannot go on as we are doing ah jane my cup of prosperity has very many bitter drops in it and mine of adversity has much that is salutary and even sweet in it. Do not think me so very unhappy. If any one had told me beforehand of these months that I have passed since my uncle's death, I should have thought them absolutely intolerable, and would have preferred death. But there is no human lot without its mitigations and ameliorations. God tempers the wind to the shorn lamb. I am not happy, perhaps, but I am not miserable.' I have not to live with people whom I despise, for there never was a more estimable woman than Peggy Walker, or more promising children than her nephews and nieces. You cannot fancy what interest I feel in Tom, and how I am ambitious for him. He will make a figure in the world, and I will help him to do so. We women have no career for ourselves, and we must find room for ambition somewhere. I have no brother and no husband, and I find myself building castles in the air for Tom Lowry and for you, Francis, for you are proving yourself the good master, the conscientious steward of the bounties of providence that I hoped you would be. And is that nothing to be glad of? I know I look sad, but do not fancy me always in this mood. If you saw me in the evenings with Tom, and Nancy, and Jamie, and Jessie and Willie, you would see how cheerful I can be here i am reminded too painfully of what i have lost there i feel that i have gained somewhat you want to relieve my mind my generous cousin by making the best of your very hard lot every lot has its best side said jane and it is only by looking steadily at it that one can obtain courage to bear the worst i see this in visiting the very poor people whom i wrote to you about some people are querulous in comparative comfort Others have the most astonishing powers of cheerful endurance. I have learned upon how very little the human soul can be kept in working order from a poor rheumatic and bedridden old woman, who is so grateful for the use of one hand while she is helpless otherwise, and who has had a very bad husband and several very careless and cold-hearted children, But she has one son, who comes to see her regularly, once every three months, and brings her the scanty pittance on which she subsists. And surely I, with youth, and health, and work to do, should try to be cheerful, even though the work is not such as I could prefer. And you have been in France, as well as England, since I saw you last in August. I want to hear further particulars of your travels, since you say that you have more to give. "'They interested you very much, particularly those in France.' "'Very much, indeed. All the more as I acquired the language. I wrote to you that I met with Clemence de Vericourt, now Madame Lenoir.' "'Is she handsome?' asked Jane. "'No. I thought her almost ugly until she opened her mouth, and then I forgot it, and felt the charm of the most winning manner and the most brilliant conversational power in the world.' "'French women are not to compare with English women for beauty, "'but they can be irresistible without it.' "'How did you get an introduction to her?' asked Jane. "'French society is more accessible than it is here. "'But I met with a French gentleman in a café "'who had known my father, and who recognized my name, "'who introduced me to a good many very pleasant salons, "'and to Madame Lenoir's, among others. "'Arnold is dead. He fell in Algeria.' His sister speaks of him with the tenderest affection. Is she happily married? After all her mother's solicitude, it would be hard if she too were sacrificed. So far as I can see, she appears to be happy. The husband is of suitable years and good character, not so brilliant as his wife, but really what Madame de Juridin says appears to me to be true, that French women are superior to their so-called lords and masters. It is strange to me who have been always so shy and so shut out from society to be introduced or rather plunged into so much of it had you not society of your own when you were in the bank your fellow clerks and their wives and sisters i had little intimacy with any of them and was particularly in want of acquaintances among the other sex a man with no relations who recognized his existence and who is conscious of the doubtfulness of his birth as i was does not like to push himself into society in a country like this of scotland where family connections are overrated now every one seems to think that being owned by my father in his will quite sufficient why i am more ashamed in my secret soul of my birth than i ever was indeed said jane i thought it would have pleased you to be acknowledged you should see if the world does not, that if one party has juggled the other into a marriage without any love on either side, it may involve legal succession to property, but does not make the birth a whit more respectable. I had a mother who did not care for me, and a father who did his duty, as he fancied, by me, but who disliked me, and they appear to have hated one another. You extorted respect and regard from your father, and you have cause to be proud of that, if mutual love between parents is to be the great cause of pride of birth, I, too, have reason to be ashamed of mine, for I think my mother's love was worn out before many years of married life were over, and my father's never was anything but self-love and self-will. But whatever our birth may be, we are all God's children, and equal in His eyes, in that respect at least. Did Madame Lenoir speak to you of her brother? yes she did and recollected that my name was the name of an old and dear friend of her mother's so she was especially kind to me for my father's sake i saw madame de vericourt's portrait too she was prettier than her daughter at least in repose but neither of them were at all like my ideal for i forgot the french class of face and embodied my fancy portraits in an english type you enjoyed french society then very much indeed The art of conversing these French people carry to great perfection. It is not frivolous, though it is light and sparkling. It is still less argumentative, but it has the knack of bringing out different opinions and different views of them. We pity the French for their want of political liberty, but the social freedom they enjoy is some compensation. But what interested me still more than these brilliant salons was the tour that I took through the country— and the careful observation of the condition and prospect of the small proprietors so numerous in France and Flanders. The contrast between the French small landowner and the English agricultural laborer is very great. Nothing has struck me as so pathetic as the condition of the English farm laborer, so hopeless, so cheerless. Our Scottish peasants have more education, more energy, and are more disposed to emigrate their wages are fixed more by custom than by competition and their independence has not been sapped by centuries a a most pernicious poor law system yet though i think their condition very much better than those of the same class south of the tweed it is nothing like that of the peasant proprietor they say that small holdings are incompatible with high farming said jane and that such a crowded country as britain must be cultivated with every advantage of capital machinery and intelligence. So they say here. But the small proprietors of France and Flanders will tell another story, for they will give a higher price for land than the capitalist and make it pay. The astonishing industry of the Flemish farmers in reclaiming the worst soil of Europe and making it produce the most abundant crops shows me the fallacy of our insular notions on that head. I cannot but regret the decrease of the yeomanry class in Great Britain, and the accumulation of large estates in few hands. Scotland, for its instance, is held by eight thousand proprietors, or thereabouts, of whom I am one. I should like to try an experiment. You know that sand-flat that is worth very little, but for scanty pasture, at the back of the Black Hill, as it is called— I would divide it into allotments among the most industrious and energetic of my farm laborers, and show them the method pursued by the Flemish farmers, and see if, in the course of ten years, they are not growing as good crops in the most favored spots on the estate. Give a man seven years' lease of a garden, he will convert it into a desert. Give him a perpetuity of a rock, he will change it into a garden. Your uncle did not think it would pay to reclaim that piece of land— i will try if our peasants have not the stuff in them to make the most of the land what an excellent idea said jane i knew you would sympathize with this plan and with another which i have also in my head to build new cottages for all the agricultural laborers on the estate It is shameful that while the proprietor's houses and the farmer's houses have been enlarged and improved so much during the last century, the cottage of the hind and the cotter should still be of the same miserable description, the partitions to be made at the laborer's own expense, and too generally done by the enclosed beds, which are not right things in a sanitary point of view. The money value of the rent is increased, too for so many weeks of reaping and harvest time is worth more now than a century back. I have got plans for the cottages which I wanted you to look at this morning. I think they will do. You must let Peggy see them. She was brought up in one of those cottages you speak of, and will know all their deficiencies. It will set a good example to the neighbourhood, said Jane. And after all— it will not cost me more to build these cottages and make thirty families more comfortable and more self-respecting than it would to enlarge cross hall as mr chalmers advises me strongly to do by building a new wing and adding a conservatory in the place of your modest little greenhouse every one knows i have come to the estate with money in hand instead of encumbrances to clear off as so many proprietors have so they can think of my spending it in nothing but in increasing my own comfort or importance. Another reason for my trying these experiments and improvements is to see if we cannot keep some of our best people in Scotland. Our picked men, and many of our picked women, emigrate to America and Australia. The recent immigration to Australia since the gold-diggings were discovered has been enormous— It must hurt the general character of the nation that we lost our best and our ablest as they grow up. I confess that if I were in their place, I should do the same. But let my experiment succeed. It may be imitated. Whether it is imitated or not, it is right to try it. I will watch the result with the greatest interest. You know nothing could give me greater pleasure than your success in such a noble work, said Jane, with sparkling eyes. "'My uncle's will is to turn out no mistake. "'We must go over together the names of those I mean to give the allotments to. "'You know the people better than I do,' said Francis. "'It is not fair that the commonages should be enclosed to enlarge great estates. "'The wastelands should belong to the nation, "'and be given to the class that needs them most, "'and that could perhaps make most of them,' said Jane. "'You are bringing my uncle's theories into practice.' if it were not for elsie i should have nothing to regret in the settlement that my uncle made and perhaps there is something brighter in store for her has she none of the alleviations that you are so good as to make the very most of asked francis she has more pleasure naturally in books and in nature than i have but at the present time she appears to have lost her relish for both she has felt that her estimate of her powers has been too great and now it is far too humble. For myself, I think just as highly of my own abilities and acquirements as ever I did. I am sorry that your minister has left his church, for I hope to become acquainted with him, and he looked so cheerful that I thought he might do Elsie good. This new clergyman does not strike me as being so genial or kindly, though I certainly like his sermons and his devotional services very much it is certainly not the least of the blessings of my adversity that i have learned to place myself in god's hands and to feel that he will do all things well for me can you not place your sister in the same care asked francis it is easier to trust god for yourself than to trust him for those whom we love said jane but i try hard for that amount of faith elsie is so weary of her life sometimes it is difficult to give her courage This is grave conversation for a dancing party, but you do not see the incongruity? If we cannot carry out our religion in our amusements and into our business, it will not be of much use to us. The sound of a well-known voice arrested Jane's attention. It was that of William Dalzell, who was shaking hands with Mr., Mrs. and Miss Rennie very cordially, and then, in an embarrassed manner, doing the same with Elsie. "'How did our friends get acquainted with Mr. Dalzell?' said Jane. "'When they were visiting me at Cross Hall, we had a gathering of the neighbouring families, and Mrs. Rennie did the honours for me. Mr. Dalzell, with his mother, and two young lady cousins, were of the party. I thought the county people would have held themselves aloof from the more plebeian society of an Edinburgh banker, but he at least has condescended to accept Mrs. Rennie's invitation to her own house.' "'The exclusiveness of classes and sex and cliques is extremely amusing to me. "'But I am engaged to dance this dance with Miss Rennie, so you must excuse me.' "'As Francis went up to claim Miss Rennie's hand, a gentleman was in the act of asking it. "'I am engaged to Mr. Hogarth. See my card? "'But as you are a stranger in Edinburgh, you will be obliged to me for introducing you to his cousin, "'one of the sweetest girls in the world.' "'and one whose story is the most interesting and most romantic I ever heard. "'Oh, Mr. Dalzell, I forgot you.' "'This is sad to be so easily forgotten. "'I had hoped that my request had made more impression,' said he. "'I do not think Laura is engaged for this dance. "'Excuse me a moment till I ascertain. "'Miss Rennie walked across the room, "'leaving William Dalzell and the stranger together,' but she presently returned with the assurance that Miss Wilson was disengaged, and would be happy to be introduced to Mr. Dalzell. Miss Wilson was ward of Mrs. Rennie's, as Jane had heard, a West Indian heiress somewhat stupid and very much impressed with her own wealth and importance. Miss Rennie had a pitying sort of liking for her, though sometimes Laura's were too much for her and they would not speak to each other for a week at a time she had just left school having made all the progress which money without natural ability or any of the usual incentives to application could attain and was to live at the rennies which she thought a very dull place this large party was the brightest thing in her horizon at present and she was looking her best and took her place in the dance with one of the handsomest men in the room with much more animation than was usual with her. "'Now,' said Miss Rennie, "'I have done my best for Mr. Dalzell. "'I must attend to my other stranger "'before I fulfill my engagement to you, Mr. Hogarth, "'and I hope you will excuse me, "'when it is to get a partner for Alice. "'Miss Melville, I suppose, "'does not care about dancing. "'She is so dreadfully matter-of-fact.' I know you have been talking politics or something as bad in that corner all this evening. So Miss Rennie led the stranger across the room, and introduced Miss Alice Melville to Mr. Brandon from Australia. End of chapter 11 Recording by Rochelle